Um, well, hey, it is exciting to be here. And so what we're going to be doing as we kick off this new series, it, um, this new season at Peach Valley, is we are going to be doing a series on Abraham. And here's why. We were talking, we were praying about, hey, what would God have us to study in this season? And I had been reading through the story of Abraham and was thinking about how here's a man who gets told by God, hey, I need you to go. I'm not going to tell you even where. I just need you to go, and you need to have faith to trust me and go. And I was like, man, that sounds a lot like the season that we are entering into, both in this new modern service here, but also in our traditional service over in the sanctuary where there's a lot of new and there's a lot of change. And so my thought was, hey, we can all have our faith strengthened either by beginning a relationship with Jesus in faith or by strengthening our faith muscle as we look at someone who is a man of faith. That is what Abraham is known as. And so as we get started, I just want you to think about when was the last time that you went on a journey without really knowing the destination? Or when was the last time you went on a journey not knowing how you were going to get to your destination? See, we don't do this very often, right? Because Google Maps allows us to know wherever we're going, all the time, and precisely that it's going to take us three hours and 36 minutes to get from here to Charleston, right? So, but a couple weeks ago, I had this experience. So let me share with you. We had a guy, um, an older gentleman who comes to Peach Valley, and I needed to go meet with him. I needed to go to his house. And when I realized, hey, I need to go to his house, I couldn't get a hold of him, I look, and on file, all we had for him was a P.O. box, which is very unhelpful if you're going to try to go to somebody's house. So I go to our other pastor, Pastor Ron. I say, Ron, um, I need to go to this guy's house. Do you have his address? He looks. He's like, I don't. And here's the thing. I had been to his house before, but it was on a day when Ron and I drove to like five different people's houses, and I was riding. I was not driving. So I said, hey, can you, can you help me get there? And this is a generational difference, Okay. But he gave me directions that only a Southerner over the age of 55 could have given me. Okay, I see head nods, which means that some of you understand, right? So he goes, all right, here's what you're going to do, Zach. You're going to turn right onto 221, and you're going to go down. And you're going to eventually see a gas station on your left. I think it's a Valero. I'm not really sure. You're going to keep going. Eventually, there's going to be a small car dealership. I don't know the name. You're going to turn in front of it. You're going to go down. You're going to cross over some railroad tracks. And about half a mile on the right, you're going to see the house. I'm like, oh, goodness, okay. I know enough people who live in Chesney to know this might be a bad idea, but I'm going for it. <laughs> so I strike out, and surprisingly, <laughs> I made it, right? And here's the thing. It was a fun experience because we don't get to do that often anymore, right? Like anytime we go anywhere, we know how we're going to get there. And the, the reason that this is so important for us is that I had to put my trust in Ron's direction, right? My journey was as good as his directions. And fortunately, he gave me something that was trustworthy. But the question for us this morning is that we, as we are on this journey of life, are we putting our faith in directions given to us by a steady and secure and good source? That's the question for us. And we're going to get to learn what it looks like to go on a faith journey with Abraham. And so as we dive in, I wanted to just give a, a little bit of background on Abraham. So Abraham lived around 2000 BC. So that's a long time ago, right? Thousands of years ago. And he was from a city called 
Er. You are. Er. And it's hard for us when we read about cities in the Bible to like really know what, what were these cities like? Like, I don't know about you, but like, I just picture they're all these teeny tiny little villages where there's nothing going on. But Ur was a pretty sophisticated city. And it was in Mesopotamia. So it's in the Fertile Crescent. And so it's an abundant place to live. It's a good place to live. And there were a city that was known. Each city was usually known for worshiping one God. So they worshiped the moon God. Okay, so that's where we find Abraham, and when we, when we meet Abraham, his name is Abram, and his wife Sarah's name is Sarai, and so here's what's going to happen. As I read through the story, I'm going to read their names, but as I'm talking about them, I'm just going to refer to them as Abraham and Sarah, because that's really how we know them as, okay? So let's do this. Let's pick up. We're going to be in Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. If you brought a copy of the Bible, pull it out, grab your phone. If not, though, we're going to have it on the screens for you. So Genesis 12:1, it says this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Right, so the Lord comes to Abraham. Right, so what we're going to do this morning is just look at what can we learn about a faith journey. The first thing we got to recognize is that faith journeys start with God. Faith journeys start with God. Right, notice Abraham's in a city for, known for worshiping the moon god. He, he's not thinking about worshiping the god that you and I know. And from what we recognize, life is going pretty well for him. Right? He lives in, in a city with a good economy. Things are working out. It's not like he's in a crisis looking for God. And honestly, there's, no, there's nothing that spectacular about Abraham. And it's God who initiates this relationship. Faith journeys always start with God. And this is, this is how it works for our lives, isn't it? Right, think about when you, if you're a Christian, think about when you came to know the Lord, when you began your faith journey. God came to you. God initiated that relationship with you. We were lost. He found us, not the other way around, right? Right? And if you have a relationship with God, it's because he sent his son to die for you. It's because he moved in your life in such a way that you came to know him. And it's not because you earned it, deserved it, or even desired it. If you have a relationship with God, it's because he began that relationship. And here's the thing. The same thing is true when God initiates any faith journey or any faith step in your life. Right? Like if, you, if you're a part of the launch team at Peach Valley, it's because God put it on your heart to come be a part of this. Right? Like there's very few people who are like, here's what I want to do. I want to leave a church that's healthy and great and thriving and come to a church that's just getting off the ground. God will put that on your heart. It's God who brings a person into your life that catches your eye and puts that little something inside of you guys. It's like, hey, I, I think you should go ask her on a date. And you get to look back like 10 years later and go, holy cow, only God could have written that story. Like as I look around and those of you who I know and I've gotten to hear some of your stories, that's 100% true. And I won't call out some of you, but there's someone I really want to call out and how only God could have initiated how your volunteer was dating your now wife and then they broke up and you now are married to her. Like I'm just saying, only God could have done that and I won't call you by name, Michael, okay? Right, it's only God who could put it on your heart to have a stirring to step away 
from an impressive and profitable job to do something for him, right? Start a new profit, maybe go to seminary, whatever it is, right? Only God could initiate. God, God is the one who starts our faith journeys. And here's the thing, that's good news for us, right? He's the one who's in control. He knows all things. But here's the thing, just because God knows everything about what's gonna happen in our journey, we don't, right? Think about what God says to Abraham. Hey, go, leave everything you know and go to a place that I'm not even gonna tell you yet. Right, so here's what we know. God starts all of our faith journeys, but faith journeys always involve unknown. Faith journeys involve unknown. Right, think about it. Go to a place I will show you. He didn't even tell him which way to go. And from what we see in the text, I'm sure that eventually he, he kind of gives Abraham some direction, but it's not like God even says, hey, go east, for three days. No. Now, God does direct him. God leads him. And we don't know how he does all of that. But faith journeys involve unknown. And if you look at verse 1, look at what's involved in this. He goes, hey, leave everything that you know. Your homeland, where you've spent all of your life, we know from verse 4, he's 75 years old. Leave that. All these people that you know, hey, your family, leave all of that. And go until I say stop. And, and remember, y'all, he's not from a group of people who, who know this God who's speaking to him. So a God that he does not know comes to him and says, leave everything you know and go the direction I tell you. Right, so I was thinking about what this would look like in our context. So we know in verse 4 that he's 75. His wife, Sarah, we think is mid-60s, okay? So imagine you're 75, got a wife in your mid-60s, you're in that prime retirement age. You finally made it, right? You live in a big, thriving city with a good economy. You live in a nice house. Things are going well for you. And this God who you don't know shows up one day and says, hey, I, I need you to pack up everything and go buy an RV and go. And imagine you live in a, a nice, big city I don't know, let's pick the closest one, like Charlotte. You're in a nice city like Charlotte, and God's like, hey, I just want you to start driving west just into the country, like, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, all those places, the country, you know what I'm saying? He's like, leave where you know, and I want you to go into the country. You'll know it when you get there. I'm not signing up for that journey. I'm not leaving the, my house. I'm not leaving the city. I'm not leaving, and yet Abraham is crazy enough to go. And so think about what have been required of him. Think about how difficult this would have been. Right? Here, here's what I know. We are a people who love security and certainty. Like, and, you know, I read a couple studies just to see. Statistically, it's true. Like with our money, 72% of people would rather keep their savings in an account that they consider safe than put it somewhere that's probably going to get them better returns. 72% of people. 65% of people in their jobs would rather stay at a company they know instead of going somewhere else, even though they know it could lead to a better life and better income. 76% of people would rather stay in a house in a city they're familiar with than go somewhere that could have better earning potential. And then this was the one that I thought was kind of funny. Socially, I don't know how we quantify this, 
But socially, 66% of people would rather stick to the friends they already have, not because they don't want new friends, but because trying to start, like, find new friends requires risk and uncertainty. And if we're honest, some, like, awkward dinner conversations, right? We've all, we've all been there. We've all experienced it, right? And here's the thing. That's the majority of us. What I know is that there's some of you who you are the minority. So like for Lauren and I, she very much does not like risk. She likes the stability. She likes certainty. I like a little bit of the unknown. I like a little bit of risk. And so the idea of like moving from where we were to come here to do all of this, all the unknown was exciting to me. All of the unknown was a little bit terrifying to her. Right? And so I know there's a spectrum of people in the room this morning, but even for those of us who can endure a little bit more risk, we still like security. We still like certainty. We, we, we like a little bit of adventure, but it's not like we're always like gambling away our house, right? Like that would be a terrible idea. That would cause us, at least me, so much anxiety. And so here's a question for you. If God were to have you leave your comfort zone like Abraham, to take on the challenge of the unfamiliar of the, or the unknown, how would you respond? If, if God put it on your heart to do something out of your unknown or out of your comfort zone, how would you respond? Think, just think about your personality, your bent, your wiring. Would the fear of the unknown paralyze you? Make you go, ooh, I don't even think I could consider that. That sounds terrifying. Or there are others of you who you, you're so excited about something new, you're not even going to pause long enough to pray about it to make sure that that's actually from God and not just a little Caesar's pizza you ate last night, right? So how would, how would you respond? It's important for us to know. How are you bent? How, how are you wired, all right? So faith journeys start with God and faith journeys involve unknown. Let's keep reading. Look at verse two and verse three. Look at what God promises Abraham. This is really cool. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will, bless those you, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. That is a good promise. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So look at this. God makes promises to Abraham. He's like, hey, I'm going to bless you so much that it's going to overflow off of you onto the world. And so faith journeys are connected to a promise. Faith journeys are connected to a promise. Because here's the thing, y'all. I don't think that without these promises, Abraham goes. I know God comes to him, and if God comes to you, you should do what he says. But think about all that he has to sacrifice. Apart from these promises, it would be really hard, right? And Abraham has to think that what he's promised is worth it. But think about what he's promised. He's 75 years old, and he has no kids. So if God comes to him and says, hey, you're going to father a great nation, that first means that he's going to father a child. Right? This is a big promise that we're going to follow throughout the story of Abraham. And so Abraham is looking forward to the things that God promises him. He says, hey, the God who promises is trustworthy. I'm going to take a step of faith. But here's what's cool for us. You, we, Abraham looked on this side of the cross looking forward. You and I look on this side of the cross looking back. And so you and I get to look back on promises that God has made and God has fulfilled in Jesus. Abraham's looking forward to what God says he's going to do. We get to look back and see how God has done what he said. 
And so our faith journeys are connected to promises as well. Right? For some of us, when you became a Christian, you left behind the life you knew because Jesus promised you rest. In the moments when you're tempted to go back to doing the same things you used to do, you press on because Jesus promises to give you an abundant life. And in the moment when you blow it, right, when you raise your voice at your spouse, I know I've never done that, or you get angry with your daughter, I've never done that, and you just feel like the worst person in the world and you just want to give up. You keep going because you know that Jesus has said you are a new creation and you are forgiven in him. Our faith journeys are connected to promises as well. And here's why that's such good news. It's just because, just like we don't start our faith journeys, we're not the source of them. It's God who starts them, and it's God who sustains us in them with his promises. So what does Abraham do? Abram moves. It says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. So don't miss this. This is simple, but it's important. Faith journeys require obedience. Faith journeys require obedience. And I'm not going to belabor this point because it's simple, but it's important for us to recognize, right? Faith journeys require obedience. You've got to move. And here's what, we'll, here's what you'll see if you continue to take steps of faith in following Jesus, is that God has linked faith and obedience together like two sides of the same coin. Right, think about what James says. He goes, hey, show me your faith without your works, and it's dead. No, faith works, faith and obedience, they are connected. And so when God tells us to move, we've got to move. And here's what I know. For those of you like us who are in the young parent stage, where you're teaching your kids how to obey, right? What do you know? Delayed obedience is not obedience. Right, the number of times we're trying to teach Ella not to be near the fireplace, for when it's time, right? I'll say, Ella, come here. She'll look at me. She'll look at the fireplace, look back, smile. Ella, come here. Maybe she eventually comes, but, uh, but does she really obey? Not really, right? We have to obey. One of the, Lauren and I say this. You can steal this. This is free for you young parents. Listen and obey to what mom and dad say the first time with a heart that's kind. It rhymes, so you know it's true, all right? That's how I live my life. If it rhymes, it's true. All right, the same thing is true for us in our relationship with God, right? We need to listen and obey to what he says the first time. And here's the deal. It's hard to do that sometimes with a heart that's kind, isn't it? But we got to obey. And so Abraham obeys. He takes his family. They hit the RV. They hit the open road, and they go. And eventually, they get to the land of Canaan, and God says, hey, this is the land that your descendants are one day going to have control over. And God takes them on this journey where basically he sees the, the south of it and the north of it. And I imagine that this part of the, the story for him is incredible because he no, he no longer is only operating based on promises. He's operating on vision because he has seen where he's going to be. He has seen where his descendants are one day going to live. And I imagine he's on a mountaintop in this moment even though when he's at Shechem, he's actually in a valley, but we won't go there, okay? But like any good story, our character has got to face some opposition. So if you're, if you're reading, skip down to verse 10. It says, at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan. 
forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. So just, just think about this, right? Remember, he came from Ur in Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent. Why is it called the Fertile Crescent? It's because famines don't happen there. Crops are abundant there. It's very likely he has never experienced a famine like this up until this point. So he's in the land. Just think about this. Abraham, you're in the place that your descendants are going to be. And he experiences a famine. Y'all, faith journeys involve trials. Faith journeys always involve trials. And this is, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions that we have about faith journeys. Because in our economy, when we take a step of faith and we obey, we always have to be rewarded right away, right? God, I did what you said. I can't, I'm in the land. This is incredible. We're about to take this thing over, right? No, there's a famine. Right, we expect immediate rewards, not immediate famines, right? Right, like when you become a Christian, you believe that giving your life to Jesus means that all your problems are going to go away. And then they don't. Right? Maybe you feel directed by God to quit a job to go do something he's telling you to do, and you expect that new business or that new venture to be a successful immediately. And a lot of times, it's not. Right? Maybe you get a renewed energy towards approaching your relationship in a godly way, and you go home to your, to your spouse or maybe to your girlfriend or boyfriend, and you're like, hey, this is what we need to do, and, and God's going to bless this, and it's going to be incredible, and you're met with opposition. Right? Maybe you've been married for years, and you feel like God says, hey, now is the time that you need to start having kids, and you get pregnant, and then you have a miscarriage. Right? I think about a friend of mine who talked about how he was um, passive as a dad. And he gets clear on this. He has a couple, I think at this point he had like three kids. He's got like five now. And he had three kids and he just was passive when he was at home, letting his wife do everything. And so he realizes, okay, I'm going to be active. I'm going to get in the game as a dad. And he, he goes home that day and he just puts his effort into it. And um, I don't know what he did, but all I know is he told me, he's like, his wife came to him and said, hey, I, I'm good with you being in the game as a dad, but whatever that was, that never needs to happen again. He's like, okay, got to figure out what that looks like, but I'm in the game, right? Y'all, when we take steps of faith, I wish I could tell you that it always is met with just the most immediate, incredible results. But oftentimes, there's a famine. Oftentimes, there's a trial. And that's not to mean that God isn't going to do more than you can ask for or imagine, but that a lot of times, you're met with a trial. And so here's the question, why? Why does God allow us to experience trial? Why does God allow the famine? It's important for us to recognize in the story that God doesn't, it doesn't say that he causes the famine. Later on, we're going to see he causes some things to happen to Pharaoh, but God doesn't cause the famine. God allows the famine and he uses it as a test. And it is a test that Abraham fails miserably. Right? We, can, we can miss the significance of him going to Egypt, but biblically, when you think about all of the Bible, going to Egypt, going down to Egypt means doubting God's promises to provide. And so what we see here is Abraham goes, hey, God, I don't trust you to, pro to provide for me in the land you told me to go to, so I'm going to go back to this place that I trust more. 
And there's no indication that Abraham consults with God at all. He just goes. And here's what I think is so interesting, is that tests aren't so that God can see what we're going to do. Because God already knows what's in our hearts, and he knows how we're going to respond. Tests are so that we can see where our faith is. Tests reveal to you and I where we are spiritually. I don't know if y'all ever had a teacher who gave you a quiz, like kind of a pop quiz one day, and they always have a smirk on their face when there's a pop quiz. I'm sorry if you're a teacher and you do that. I'm just telling you this is my experience. Pop quiz, smirk on the face. I'm, 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 I'm speaking your language. I know, I'm sorry. But here's the thing. The teacher will say, hey, I'm not giving you this pop quiz so that I know where you are. I'm giving you this pop quiz so you know where you are. Translation, I think a lot of y'all are behind, and I'm about to prove it to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, So tests reveal where we are spiritually. But here's the thing. Tests not only show us where we are spiritually, tests strengthen us spiritually. And so in Romans 5, it says this. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop character. And endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So trials produce perseverance and maturity in our faith. And one of the things that I have seen is that faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And so God allows us to see where we are, not to shame us, but so that one, he can show us where there are gaps, and two, so that he can strengthen us. Because faith is like a muscle. It gets strengthened as we use it. And oftentimes we take small steps of faith that grow to the point where we get to a strength where God says, hey, go, and go until I tell you to stop. And so because trial is going to come, because famine is going to come when you take a step, Here's what I want you to know. If you've never experienced this, if you've never taken a big faith step, what I need you to know is that when the trial comes, there's going to be a moment where you second guess if you did the right thing. And I see heads nodding because people have experienced this. And this has to be how Abraham ends up in Egypt. Uh, Maybe God had this wrong. Maybe I didn't hear that right. I'm I'm going back the direction I came. And I think about, I spent eight years as a youth pastor before stepping into this role. And I think about a student who I know named Ethan. And Ethan was like one of my favorite students. And I've known Ethan for the last five years. And when I met Ethan, Ethan had just finished his eighth grade year. And I got to see him all the way through graduation. And Ethan was one of those kids that everybody liked, right? So he was always around. He was always in a good mood. He always participated but Ethan was not a Christian, and he knew that, and we knew that, and I'll never forget on a retreat his junior year of high school, he became a Christian. He gave his life to Jesus, and for the next month, right, he's just filled with spiritual high after spiritual high, and things are going well, and I remember after a couple, four, five, six weeks, I I see Ethan on a Sunday night, and I can just tell something's off, and I walk up to him, like, Ethan, hey, man, you don't, you don't have your, your normal, your normal disposition, like what's going on with you? I probably said vibes because teenagers don't know the word disposition, but <laughs> hey man, your vibes are off, you know? That's probably what I said. And um, I was like, what's going on? He said, you know, um, I've been following after Jesus and I'm still hanging out with the friends I used to hang out with. I just don't do the things I used to do with them. 
And now they don't invite me to come spend time with them. And I'm just wondering, like, if God wants me to be happy, surely it wouldn't mean losing my friends, right? And I'm having this conversation, and I'm just seeing not only the confusion, but also just the pain on his face. And I'm like, hey, man, I, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you that these friends are going to be your friends for the rest of your life, and it's all going to work out. But remember, you and I have spent the last couple years talking about how we need to count the cost of following Jesus. We have to be willing to give up our life or we're going to lose it. And you looked at me a month ago and told me, hey, the cost of following Jesus is worth it. And, and God is testing whether or not you really believe that. And I was like, hey, man, you're, you're, gonna, you're about to turn 18. You're about to be able to go to jail. So I can't make this decision for you. You're going to have to decide whether or not you think this is worth it. Right? And that's not something that, that only teenagers wrestle with, right? right? We all wrestle with that in different ways. And the thing we have to remind ourselves is that if we didn't start the faith journey, if it's not our own promises, if it's not our own ideas that we are resting on, that God can sustain us even when it's difficult. So here's what I want to do. This story, the story is going to get weird as we finish, but there's actually some encouragement here if we pay attention. So Abraham, he's doing his own thing in Egypt and put, all right, so leave that up for, but let me give you some context. What's going to happen? Abraham's about to get into Egypt and for whatever reason, and this is real cute. So I'm just going to like give you the, the, the cuteness of this. They're about to get to Egypt and he goes, my wife is so beautiful that when they find out she's my wife, they're going to kill me and Pharaoh's going to take her as his wife, which is real cute. Okay. It's pretty awesome. So if you're a single girl in here, listen to me. Find you a guy that likes you that much, okay? Guys, let's be guys who love our wives that much, okay? But so Abraham, I don't really know why. He goes, this is going to happen. So here's what we're going to do, babe. Um, you're going to tell everybody that you're my sister, which was half true because she was his half-sister. Um, but I don't really know what his long-term plan is here. So he's like, hey, she's my sister. So Pharaoh takes her as his wife and his life is preserved. But like, I don't know, like, is there a long-term plan here? It doesn't seem like it, right? Like, what are you going to, how are you going to get your wife back? Are you just going to like storm the castle one day? I don't know. And fortunately, God intervenes. Because Abraham put all of God's promises to him at risk. How can he father a nation if his wife is with Pharaoh? So look at what happens. This is in verse 17. And I said it's weird, but God moves in some weird ways sometimes. It says this, the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh. We're going to see that again in Egypt in a little bit, aren't we? Upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. This is, this is funny. Why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. So notice this. Pharaoh's so mad, he's like, you're getting a police escort out of the country. Leave, get out right now, take everything, and I'm gonna make sure that you don't come back. Right? It's fascinating. And we're going to see along the story how all of this is actually going to have consequences for Abraham down the road. But here's what's important for us to see. Is that if it's not for God, the journey ends here. 
If it's not for God, the promise ends here. Abraham's failures would have killed the promise. But notice that faith journeys continue only with God's help. It is God who protects Sarah. It's interesting to see people who write about the Bible argue about whether or not Pharaoh consummated the marriage, but most scholars believe that they did not. There was this thing about how you wait X number of months to make sure she's not pregnant, and most scholars believe that Sarah was protected. And one of the reasons they think that is later on, Abraham's going to do this again. Didn't learn the first time. I don't know know anybody like that. But he didn't learn the first time, and Sarah goes along with it again, which probably means that God protected her in all the ways that your mind runs to. So God protects Sarah. God protects Abraham. He probably should have gotten killed. They probably, when they figured it out, Pharaoh probably should have killed him, but he didn't. Pharaoh, I mean, God protects the promise and God preserves his plans. If it's up to Abraham, the faith journey is over. The promises are over. Y'all, if, the, if everything hinges on me and you, these faith journeys, they don't make it to where God wants them to. But God continues. God sustains us as we go along our faith journey. And here's the thing. God desires for all of us to be on a faith journey with him. So faith journeys start with God, involve the unknown, connected to a promise, require obedience, involve trials, and continue only with God's help. And so a question for you as we close our time together is, how is God calling you to leave your comfort zone and take a step of faith? How is God moving in you? How is God stirring you to take a step of faith? How is God asking you to be on a, on a faith journey. And I, w- I want to give you a moment to think about that band. Y'all can go ahead and, and come up, but just, just consider, how is God moving in you? Is it relationally? Is it something to do with, with one of your relationships? Is it something with your work? My prayer is that God is stirring some of you to come join us and be a part of our launch team at Peach Valley, that that would be a part of the faith step that God is asking you to make. Maybe it's something spiritually, Right? Maybe it's that for the first time, you're going to surrender your life to Jesus. But here's what I want to do. I'm going to have the band play for about a minute. I want, to, I want to give you a chance just to reflect and respond how God is moving to you. Maybe you jot something down about how God is calling you to take a faith step. And then we're going to get a chance to sing together. So take a moment, reflect, consider how God is calling you to move. God, we are grateful that you are trustworthy. God, we're grateful that as you begin faith journeys in us, as you ask us to take steps of faith, that you are steady, you are trustworthy, that you are a dependable source, and God, that you don't change. God, help us to live lives full of faith like Abraham did. We want to give honor and glory to you by how we live. And we know living lives full of faith does that. God, we love you. It's your name I pray. Amen.